This morning, I want to start off by, uh, you know, recently I read a story uh, about an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor. Uh, this guy actually completed thousands and thousands of cataract surgeries. And um, uh, for those of you who don't know, some of you might be familiar with this by experience, but a cataract is when the lens in the eye becomes cloudy and it uh, gives blurred vision. And sometimes that's due to uh, old age, sometimes that's due to damage from the sun. Uh, but for whatever reason, sometimes people's lenses become cloudy and then it becomes necessary to do this thing called a cataract surgery. So they take out the old lens and put in a new lens. And, and usually when that is done, oftentimes there is a dramatic improvement in the quality of vision. You can see so much more clearly. Things that were once cloudy are now crystal clear. So this doctor, this ophthalmologist, uh, said that when he turned 55 years old, uh, his doctor said to him, I think you might need cataract surgery. And he, he said he was a terrible patient because he said, even though I'd done thousands of these operations, uh, these procedures on other people, I just resisted the idea that I needed to have this done on myself. But finally, uh, he did it. And uh, after the surgery was complete and he could open his eyes, here's what he said. He said, the view through my right eye was like nothing I had ever recalled seeing before clear and colorful in ways that even my best eyesight in younger years could not duplicate. He could see clearly now. You know, I had a friend who had cataract surgery, and she said the same thing. She went outside the first time she could open her eyes, and she said, the sky is so blue. (laughs) She just couldn't believe the vivid colors. And what I want us to realize this morning is that I think a lot of times when we look at things like parables in Scripture, We see them through blurry vision, almost like we have cataracts on the eyes of our hearts. And it might be because we're so familiar with them or we've heard them too many times or just because it's a story and not uh, not just a a direct statement that we are actually sometimes calloused to what Jesus is trying to tell us. And so last week we looked at the Good Samaritan. This week we're going to look at the prodigal son, as you just heard read. Those are some of the two most well-known parables in Scripture. And so as we look at these stories from week to week, I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to look at them with fresh eyes, uh, with wide eyes wide open. Um, you know, it's as if you've never seen it before. It's as if Jesus is doing cataract surgery on the eyes of your heart. I think that's what he wants to do through the telling of parables. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see truth in a crystal clear way. And I'm, I'm convinced that if you see this truth and you hear what Jesus is trying to say through this story, um, that it'll be crystal clear to you. Whether you've seen it, whether you're seeing it for the first time, or maybe it's something you've known for years. Uh, that's my prayer this morning is that God just opens the eyes of our heart, uh, and that we don't miss the message that Jesus has for us this morning in this familiar, wonderful story uh, that you just heard read from Luke chapter 15. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this parable with our eyes wide open, and then we're going to conclude our service this morning with celebrating communion. And I think you'll see that this parable leads really, really well into the into the celebrating of what Christ has done for us on the cross. So if you will, please bow with me one more time to pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see your truth. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning in our story, we actually have uh, three characters in the story of the prodigal son. And, you know, when you look at a parable, 
Uh, there's a couple different things you can do to kind of approach parables, but I think one of the most effective things to do is to look at the characters. A lot of parables have one character, two characters, or three characters, or sometimes groups of characters. And so that's what we want to do this morning is kind of look at the three characters just briefly to get a picture of what this story is telling us. And then I have three, I think, really important questions to ask at the end that I think will help us to discover what it is that Jesus wants us to walk away with uh, from this parable. So uh, these three characters, I'm going to just throw them on the screen for you. We have we have three characters, the straying son, the forgiving father, and the bitter brother. Uh, so just hopefully helping us remember those those characters in this story, the, the straying son, the forgiving father, and the bitter brother. So one thing, again, as you look at parables, I think one thing that God wants us to do, and this is why Jesus uses parables, is oftentimes you can identify with one or more of the characters in the story. That's one of the reasons stories are so effective to give teaching. So uh, as you listen to this story, you may have found yourself identifying with one of these three, or maybe two of the three, or maybe even, in some cases, all three of them. And so I actually think another thing that works well in parables is that I think each character ends up usually making a point that we need to remember. And so we'll see that as we walk through this story this morning. So starting with the straying son, just this first character in the story. <clears throat> and uh, I would say this, this character, this son, is someone that we could probably call, um, he really represents the classic sinner, if you will. Someone who has rebelled, turned away from God, and run the opposite direction. Well, how do we see that? Um, if we're looking at these verses, uh, what I think we can see is that his actions reveal that he has a heart issue. His actions reveal that he has a heart issue. Um, Isaiah 53, 6 talks about all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so when we look at this prodigal son, the straying son, that's exactly what he does. He wanders away from his father uh, and turns his back on him. And the story really kind of begins with him rebelling. Now, if you're a reader, if you like to read novels uh, for fun, um, you know a lot of times when you read a good story, something kind of crazy happens at the beginning, something novel, if you will. Uh, maybe somebody dies or someone loses their uh, fortune or maybe a crime happens. That, that usually happens at the beginning of a story. And this story that Jesus tells is just like that. The things he says at the beginning of this story would have grabbed the attention of his original listeners, and they should hopefully grab our attention as well this morning. He says in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now, again, the original hearers of that story would have probably gasped and said, oh, he said, what? Uh, in other words, this, this young son uh, asks for something that is totally inappropriate even in today's day and age, because really he's saying, uh, Father, I want my inheritance now. Now, usually inheritance comes after your parents are deceased and they leave their property to you. So in effect, he's basically saying to his father, whether you're alive or dead, I don't really care. I just want your stuff. Um, and that's what he says to him. Uh, he wants the stuff, not the father. And so what we see here at the beginning of the story is a rebellious son who's alienated himself from the father saying, I don't really want a relationship with you at all. All I want is the things you can give me. So what happens? It says, uh, 
the father gives it to him, and he divided his property between them. So the father gives his sons the property, that gives it to this son, and it says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So what you have here, again, is this picture of rebellion. It's really a picture of what happens when humans uh, reject God and pursue sin. They, take, they think they can find their pleasure in another place. They can find something to give them fulfillment, and they go and pursue that. Well, guess what? The money ran out. The money ran out. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Again, that's a picture of what happens to people who pursue the pleasures of life rather than a relationship with God. Uh, the pleasure and the money and the sin runs out, and they are left hungry for more. That's what the son represents, this rebellion and, and, and rejection of God. Well, it says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, what you need to understand is, again, the, the readers of the story would have gasped again when the father gave them money. They, they would have said, he did what? He actually gave him what he asked for? And they would have gasped a third time when it said, and he ended up out in the field feeding pigs. Because there was nothing lower on the totem pole probably than feeding pigs. Because remember, in Jewish culture, pigs were unclean animals, not allowed to be eaten. And not only that, Jewish or not, let me just tell you, pigs are at the bottom of the totem pole, okay? I grew up on a farm, and actually, right now in this coronavirus crisis, you can actually tell what the pecking order is among livestock owners, okay? So uh, a few weeks back, we started having an interruption in the supply of chicken. Did you all hear about this? And people started freaking out, saying, well, they might not have enough chickens to slaughter for, for us to eat. And then uh, a few weeks later, they ran out of pigs. The pig factories, uh, uh, packing plants started shutting down, and everybody was a little worried. And then they started talking about shutting down the beef ones, and that caught everybody's attention, okay? Like I said, there's this pecking order in which, uh, which types of animals are more valued. And, at, and in this culture, especially in Jewish culture, pigs were at the very, very bottom. You couldn't get any lower than what this guy was doing. And so what happens? It says he comes to his senses. Verse 17, he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. And so he made this plan where he said, I'm going to go back and apologize and ask my father if I can become like one of his hired servants. Now, a lot of uh, scholars uh, debate about this, but they actually think that this guy was probably going back to say, father, I can never be like your son again but at least I want to do what I can to try to repay you, pay you back something for what I took. And that's what his plan is. Um, and so what we see here uh, is him turning away from what he was doing. And he says he even planned out his speech. He said in verse 18, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So at the beginning of this story, he's this picture of rebellion running away from his father, like a sinner running away from God. But here, as we get into the middle of the story, he becomes a picture of repentance, turning around and going back to his father, admitting that he was wrong, asking for forgiveness, putting himself at his father's mercy. 
So I wonder this morning, when you look at this son who alienated himself from the father, can you identify with him? Have you run away from God? Have you pursued the things that you thought would give you pleasure? And I have to ask you, if that's you, uh, then do you find yourself hungry, starving, in famine? Because God says the money will run out. The things that you think will satisfy you will one day run out. And you'll find yourself like this first son, this straying son. And God says, I want you to come back to me. And that's the second character in our story then, uh, is not just, we have not just this straying son, but he's brought into focus by the forgiving father, the forgiving father. Uh, and so as we look at this character, it's interesting, this story really uh, could be divided into two scenes. It's kind of what happens with the son, this first son and his father, and then we're going to get to the last, uh, the second son and his father. But in the middle, we have the father who interacts with both of them. And so who is this forgiving father and what does he do? Uh, I think I love it in, uh, in verse 20. It says, the son arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This would make the, the original readers gasp again. Number one, how could this father feel compassion to the son who had rejected him? Because you see, the son made the father feel one of the worst possible, I think, human emotions. And that's the feeling of rejected love. The father's love was rejected. And yet when he sees his son, isn't it interesting that he's the only one in this story who sees clearly what is happening. And he sees his son coming from far away and he runs out to meet him. Again, the, the readers would have gasped because of this because in this culture... A landowner, a patriarch, uh, an older man would never run to greet anyone. He might stand there on the steps and wait for people to approach him and come to him. But never would a well-respected man gather up his robes and run. It's unimaginable in their minds. And yet what we see the father do next is even more unimaginable. It's so generous, it's just beyond the bounds of explanation. He ran to him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father cuts him off right there. Doesn't let him finish his speech. The father says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. You see what the father does here. First of all, he's watching and waiting. He's just waiting for that son to come back. And when he comes back, he meets him with compassion and generosity. And then a magnificent celebration. Because you see, the father is so excited that what was lost has now been found. And so I wonder if any of you can, just as a human, identify with that father. Perhaps you have a child who's strayed away. Maybe someone you're still waiting to come back to you. Or a broken relationship with a child or with a spouse, with a friend. Um, and you're waiting. Some of us can identify with that feeling. But there's a third character in this story. In fact, this third character is going to interact with the forgiving father in just a moment. But we see this bitter brother who now comes into the story. This older brother. And what happens with him as we talk through this story? If the, if the straying son could be called the classic sinner, I would tell you that I think this older brother, this 
this bitter brother could be called the righteous sinner. The classic sinner and the righteous sinner. And you might say, wait a minute, hold on, Marcus. Did you just call him a righteous sinner? How could a sinner be righteous? Well, I think it's, it's something you have to see as you read the story is that he is righteous in his own eyes. You see, he says, I have never done anything wrong. Whereas the, the first son comes and says, I've done everything wrong. And what we see in this son is that his heart issue is not revealed by his actions, but his heart issue is revealed by his attitude. Um, his heart issue is revealed by his attitude. And what we see here is that his condition uh, is potentially every bit as dangerous as the condition that the wandering son was in, uh, in that he thinks he can earn his father's acceptance. He thinks that if he has followed all the rules, then his father is going to accept him. And what's interesting here is, is he's unhappy, right? It says he's angry. He's angry. And what we also see is, is he's actually kind of exhibiting some of the same behaviors that the, that the younger son had done uh, in that he's rebellious and disrespectful. Well, how, how do we see that? Where do we see that? Um, again, when you read Scripture and a story, especially any dialogue that happens between characters is so important, the spoken words. And so if you look down at uh, verse 29, he, uh, he comes home, the servants tell him a party's going on, and he said, I'm not going in. So his father, it says, comes out to entreat him. Well, then what does he say to his father? Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And yet, when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So we see actually a high level of disrespect here between this, this son and his father. Because he doesn't even start by saying father. He says, look. It's almost like he says, hey, you. You see what you're doing here? And again, in this culture, in any culture really, uh, not an appropriate way to address your father. And then even more than that, we see in the words he says, this son of yours. Just the dis- He's just despising his brother at this point. Um, basically judging his father for accepting the son back. And he says to him, I want no part of this brother of mine. Don't you even know what he did? And what we see here is the son is having, I guess what you could call a self-righteous attitude. That's why I would say the first son was the classic sinner, the one who runs away from God. This one is the righteous sinner, the one who thinks he can be good enough to please his father. And here's the other thing. He actually seems to want the same thing uh, that, the, that the younger son did at the beginning of the story. And what do I mean by that? At the beginning of the story, the, son, the younger son said, I want, I want the stuff. I don't want you. And there's actually a whole bunch of that going on here with what the older son is saying as well. He says, um, I'm upset, Father, because you spent some of these possessions. You, you killed a calf. You killed the, the best animal we have. Again, remember the hierarchy of animals here. Uh, he, you killed the finest thing we had. You gave him a robe, sandals, and a ring. Do you know how much that cost? And here we have at the end of this story, the older son finds himself in the same state as the younger son at the beginning of the story. He's alienated from his father, separated from him. Even though he says, I've done all the right things. I've never done anything wrong. And he's missing the big picture. He's missing the big picture. The relationship with his father. And so thankfully his father comes out and says something to him. Look what the father says. 
Verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. You could actually translate that as my child. You are always with me. It's a, it's a tender response from a loving father trying to love this other wandering son, this one who stayed home, but who has wandered in his heart. You see, he's missing the big picture. The father says, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. See, what it actually says there in verse 32 could be translated as, it was absolutely necessary for us to celebrate because your brother came home. And he tells his older son, you're missing the big picture. This younger brother of yours. Did you notice that? How he changed the words from this son of yours. Now he says it's this brother of yours. He has come home. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and he's found. How can we do anything except celebrate? So we have these three characters. And then on that third character, I have to ask, can you identify with him? Upset that someone else who broke all the rules is getting off scot-free. At least that's what it looks like. Can you identify with that? But really, identifying with those characters, I don't think, is necessarily the most important thing we can do this morning. Because I think there are really three questions that I want to ask us as we think about that story that we've kind of just walked through. Noticing things about each of those characters. Three questions that I think Jesus wants us to walk away with. Uh, and answer these questions. The first one is, is about God, and then the other two are a little more personal about us and how we relate. So the first question is this. Uh, three questions from this story. The first question is this, that Jesus wants us to understand is how does God respond to sinners? How does God respond to sinners? You see, this is the reason Jesus told this story, was so that we would have a picture of what God does in response to those who have sinned against Him, to those who have uh, rebelled against him in whatever way that might be. Because you see, in this story, we see God waiting for the sinner to return home, waiting for the lost son to come back. And then we see him going out and welcoming him back. And even with the second son, we see the loving father going out and inviting him to come back inside. So we have a God who goes out and seeks the lost You know, uh, it's no accident that this story happens here. If you look back in your Bibles at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. So this this is the beginning of the chapter. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And then he actually tells them three parables. He tells them the story of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost sheep, He tells them the parable of the lost coin, and then he tells them the parable of the lost son. So three parables about lostness. And the last one ends with, he is lost and he is found. So what Jesus is basically saying uh, is that he has come to pursue lost people, people that don't know God. And he says, I want you to know that I'm a God full of love and mercy and forgiveness for lost people. We see that in a powerful, vivid way in the way that the Father responds to both sons. Because you see, God is a God of love, just like this Father is a loving Father. He gives mercy. He gives grace, which is giving gifts to those who don't deserve it. He gives forgiveness to those who haven't earned it. And then He throws a huge celebration 
when they come to Him, which is exactly what our God does. This is what Jesus doesn't want you to miss this morning as you hear this story, is that we serve a God who is like the Father, who wants to welcome sinners to come home, to come back to them. So how does God respond to sinners? It's with love. God responds to sinners with love, even though sinners don't deserve it. And we know from Jesus' teaching that we receive that love, we receive that response by trusting Him. Because you see, so many times we uh, think we can get ourselves, we can get satisfaction either from something else or that we can earn satisfaction with God by doing the right things. So that's the first question. How does God respond to sinners? And the answer is with love, with eager, celebrating, rejoicing love when somebody turns to Him. But the second question then is very important question. And that is, when you hear this story, how do you respond to God? I think that's what Jesus is asking uh, the, the people who are listening to this story. That's what He's asking us here this morning is, how do you respond to this loving God? Because here in this story, uh, you have this Father. And, and some of you, this may be a more difficult picture than others. Uh, this idea of a loving Father. Because guess what? No father on earth is a perfect father. And uh, I'm sure in some way, every single one of us has been disappointed by our earthly fathers. Um, and yet, God says, I'm not like those fathers. I, could, I am a perfect father with perfect love that can never be broken. And so how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that kind of love? You know, I think in this story, we see two human responses that are incredibly common. One is to run away from God. That's what the younger son does. He runs away and pursues pleasure, tries to satisfy himself with the things of the world. So that's the way he responded to the father. And the older brother, he thought that he could earn the father's acceptance by doing all the right things. All the right things. And so he said, that's why he gets so upset, so angry. He says, I've been doing everything right. And yet you don't seem to love me the way you love this guy. So those two responses are both wrong, both dangerous, will both lead you to the wrong place. See, there's only one way to respond to God in the way that he asks us to, and that is through faith and repentance, to realize that he alone can save you from your sins, that there is nothing you can do in life to pursue pleasure that could ever satisfy you and realize that there's also nothing you could ever do to be good enough to make God love you or to make Him accept you or to give you eternal life. He says, I don't accept you because you've been good enough. I accept you because you turn to me in faith and trust me. I want that relationship with you. And you begin that relationship with me, He says, by trusting in the work of Jesus, my Son. You see, because Jesus came to take the punishment for sin that we deserve. And so Jesus releases us from the sin that keeps us away from God. And so God says, if you trust in Him, you can have this relationship with me. And that is what He calls us to do, is in humility, realize that we need to repent and turn. And some of us, again, uh, could, could look at this and say, if you have that mentality of the older brother, you could say, well, I don't have anything I need to repent of. I've done all the things right. I have no sins that I can repent of. You have to realize that repentance is more than just turning away from sins. Although the younger brother did have a whole list of sins that he needed to turn away from. But repentance is more than that. It's turning toward God in a relationship. 
And it's turning away from sin in general. The corruption that we have in our heart. The corruption we have in our attitudes. Which is what you see with the unhappy, angry, older brother. He missed the big picture. That there was something to celebrate. That the younger son had been saved. And he said, I don't care. So the proper response when we ask, how do you respond to God? How do you respond to God the Father? Is in humility and repentance and faith. He says, I will welcome you with arms wide open. All you have to do is trust me that I alone can forgive your sins. And the third question I think that if you're hearing this story this morning is, how do you respond to sinners? How do you respond to other humans? Um, because I think what you could see here is, is again, the, the place that Jesus tells the story is really kind of a warning to the Pharisees and to the scribes. In other words, to the religious people, to those people who've been doing the right things and they think they're following God. And he's saying this story as a little bit of a warning to them, saying, how do you see those sinners? Do you look down at them and say they're kind of inferior to me? They really don't know God as well as me. And God would never accept them like he accepts me because I'm so much better than they are. How do you respond to sinners? You can respond with an elder brother type of heart, really where you're always mad, always looking down on others, always thinking you can do it better than they can. Or you can respond to sinners in the same way that God does, with that love and that tenderness, that mercy, compassion. You see people in need, whether they're older brothers or younger brothers, we're all sinners. In whatever case someone is in, when you look at them, do you see them clearly as God sees them? As sinners who need God's grace, who need a relationship with Jesus Christ in order to live a life that's worth living. To have that relationship, all you have to do is ask. And so how do you respond to sinners, to other people who are sinful? My hope is that our heart is the same as God's heart. The heart of the Father who's sitting there watching and waiting for lost people to come home waiting for lost ones to come back to Him so that they can celebrate with Him and be reunited to Him. You know, um, as I was looking at these questions this week and, and thinking through these three things and, and really thinking about the three characters, I kind of had a, had a realization that I myself even have cataracts, spiritual cataracts. Because, you know, I'm a pastor, and, and it's a little bit like that cataract surgeon who didn't see that he needed surgery on his own eyes. Uh, this week was a reminder to me that the eyes of my heart can sometimes be warped. And I don't, especially on that third question, don't see people the way that God sees them. Don't respond to people the way that God responds to them. It's easier to look down on them um, and, and to see them as inferior and to say, I've got it together and they don't. And I think this story just kind of peels that away and God says, no, <laughs> you are just like one of the brothers that needs the love of the Father and there's nothing you can do to earn it. You have to depend on the work of Jesus. You know, I think that Jesus has shared this story with us again this morning so that we uh, might clearly see the Father's love for us. That's the bottom line. That's what he wants us to see is the Father's love for us. And that's why he tells this story. And I think that's just such a great reminder as we come to the table this morning to celebrate communion together as a church family is that we have a Father who loves us, not because we've earned His love, but because He's given us a gift.
through his son, Jesus Christ, who came to rescue us. And we come to the table not because we are deserving of God's grace, but because he, as our loving father, wants to share it with us. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, for the chance to to hear your word. And God, I thank you for the chance to celebrate communion together as a church family. Father, I pray for each individual who's heard this message. God, I pray that you would reveal to them what it is that you want them to do, how you want them to respond to you, and how you want them to respond to others around them. And God, I pray that as we take communion together, you'd help us to honor you with our actions and with our words. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.